Hello and welcome to Destination Draft Day. I'm Michael Rockman, joined by Nick Durst. We are here to talk all things NFL Draft, NFL, and college football. The road is long, but we will get you there. Nick, how's it going today? It's going well. Uh, how can I complain? The Giants, you know, in honor of the Giants last division championship, breaking out the shirt here. They beat the Eagles. Still a long road to go, moving forward to even have the possibility uh, potentially getting into the playoffs, but you know, I kind of broke it down here. I think the Giants they would need to get you know, with their upcoming schedule. They need to win coming off the bye against the Bengals. That's a must win. They have to beat the Cowboys in Week 17, and they have to win at least one game against Seattle, Arizona, Baltimore, and Cleveland just to get the six wins. That could potentially do it in the AFCs, but if I think if you get seven wins, you definitely locked yourself in for that playoff so they could somehow win two out of the the four against seattle arizona baltimore and cleveland that'd be interesting you saw baltimore struggle last night you saw of course seattle struggle two weeks in a row now the eagles upcoming schedule uh they have the browns seahawks packers saints cardinals cowboys and washington uh they're probably going to get three wins there i think they could beat cowboys they could beat washington uh, you know, maybe they could beat the Browns, but they're probably going to lose to the Seahawks, Packers, Saints, and Cardinals. So it's really they come back to their tie earlier in the season, which is going to put them at the advantage to get the, the playoff opportunity there. Uh, but the Washington football team, they should be in the mix too. Uh, they, they come back. Alex Smith with a career high in completions and passing yards and a pass attempts. And somehow they, they, they come back. And they tie the game, and then the Lions with the ridiculous field goal at the end by Prater to win the game. So they're they're out of it, but they would have had, of course, they'd be behind the Giants anyway with the tiebreaker. So I think I think we could pretty much write off the Cowboys here. They absolutely if they win though this this weekend and then Thanksgiving, you know, they're right back in the mix. And I haven't seen anything on Andy Dalton or whatnot, but I think with Andy Dalton, they do have a shot at, at the quarterback position. Uh, but that's that's kind of where we're at with the with the NFC East. Uh, any any takeaways that you saw uh, during during the games at all? And then I'm going to get to I want to read this tweet from Tiki Barber about the game after we get your thoughts. Well, obviously it was a big win for the Giants, and I talked about it a little bit last show that I felt like the Giants were a team that were trending upwards, and I felt like this was a really big opportunity to prove themselves, and that they did. Yes. The Eagles aren't some dominant football team, but at the same time, they're currently winning the NFC East. So you have to come out and really beat them to kind of get your chance at the claim to the division. And the Giants came out. They did that. They had a great performance. And Daniel Jones is limiting turnovers, which was his biggest issue at the time. It was just, you know, can this guy really take that next step as a quarterback? Can he become what we need him to become? And that's more of a, guy who keeps the ball safe, makes smart decisions, make quick decisions, and isn't, you know, costing us games, but is helping us kind of get to that next level. And right now, without Saquon Barkley, obviously he may have had to have a bigger role in the offense in terms of production-wise, but he's he's done a great job in these past two games, only one turnover in those games. So huge outing for him, and there's a big opportunity for him to keep this job now. And that leads right into Tiki Barber. Of course, giant great uh, now on CBS radio. 
He wrote, he wrote, he tweeted yesterday, coaching wins in the NFL. The record doesn't show it yet, but the Giants are so well coached. Garrett has coached the turnovers out of Daniel Jones and finally realized the asset they have in Wayne Gallman. Well done, G-Men. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Don't turn the ball over and, and you win the game. Uh, I like the design runs with Daniel Jones. That's his strength, so you got you to gotta continue that. Wayne Gallman has looked very good in the absence of Saquon Barkley. And you got to give it to Joe Judge. Held this team together. No issues, really, other than Golden Tate last week. Comes back this week. Uh, has a big catch. And you know, the thing is, they they may be terrible, but Joe Judge has kept them believing. And he's got that demeanor where, you know, kind of Belichick were like, where they were like, after the game, asking him, the reporters, are you looking at the, the standings now? He said, that's irrelevant. We're on to the next game, like one game at a time. We want to know each week, and all the players seem to build into that as well. So it looks like Joe Judge, he's he seems to be the right guy for the job right now. And barring something crazy, I think he's going to be back next year. And who knows what the, the status will be with Dave Gettleman? You know, he was on the hot seat earlier, but it seems like you know it'd be surprising if after one year of keeping him, they're going to fire him next year maybe a little counterintuitive there. So that's kind of tough. And uh, we'll get to this later, but while on Tiki Barber's Twitter here, he said, could Clemson and Notre Dame play three times this season? So he's thinking they're going to be playing the ACC championship game. And of course, in the college football championship game. And we're going to talk about the college football playoff picture coming up a little later on here uh, on this program. And for a look at the game of football from a coaching, scouting, administrative perspective go to landryfootball.com today from high school college to the nfl from recruiting to the nfl draft to free agency from pregame to postgame film analysis to all the inside scoop on players teams coaches and schemes landryfootball.com is your source for all things football thank you for joining and please help us spread the word as you can catch us on the chris landry twitch channel at www.twitch.tv slash chris landry football and you can listen to this podcast on your mobile device by signing up for landry football's conference call wherever you get your podcast and the other big news coming out of the weekend is that Drew Brees has multiple rib fractures on both sides of his chest and a collapsed lung on the right side. This would be why he pulled himself from the game uh, against the Saints and Jameis Winston came in and the Saints get the victory. Uh, I think we're kind of in grants that the Saints proved uh, against the Buccaneers that they're the best team in the NFC, maybe the best team in the NFL, but this is uh, this could be a big loss potentially if Drew Brees is out for more than a week or two, Michael. Yeah, and in a way it is, but I think one of the biggest things is this allows Drew Brees to rest up, which has become a big issue of Drew Brees in his career is that we see him have these strong regular seasons, and then those last four weeks he kind of starts to go on the decline, and then in playoffs he's just not the same, and the Saints generally lose early. And while I'm not saying, oh, it's great that he's injured, I mean, I do like the idea that he's going to get a nice portion of rest right here get the opportunity to kind of heal up, take care of his body. And I think the biggest thing for the Saints to do in this situation is to be patient. You have a starter-capable quarterback in Jameis Winston. You have a guy that you reportedly love in Taysom Hill. So give these guys their opportunities. You can really kind of evaluate how we're looking in the future. And at the same time, I think you still have a very talented roster to where you can come out of these games with with wins and really huge opportunity to evaluate what your uh, – quarterback position really looks like and what you want to do once uh, 2021 rolls around. 
Saints got the Falcons uh, next week, so that that could be the end. They got the Broncos, so it's definitely two winnable games, regardless of if it's Jameis Winston or or Drew Brees there in there at quarterback, and maybe Hill gets even more involved at the quarterback position now if Brees is going to be out. Yeah, and they have plenty of weapons. Michael Thomas is back. Emmanuel Sanders is back. Jared Cook has always been a solid tight end. Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray in the backfield. They have options to where there's no excuses for these QBs not to succeed. So now it's just trying to see what they have. And I keep saying it, but it's just really – it's it's the biggest takeaway for me. I feel like this Saints team is still very good. And hopefully we can see some growth out of Jameis Winston. This is going to be a huge determining factor in whether it's at the Saints or whether it's at a new team in the NFL – uh, just how much growth he's made as a quarterback and if he can have some good games with low amounts of turnovers, maybe if he's playing two games and only one throughout those two games, then that'll be huge for his uh, uh, off-season payday. Yeah, if he can limit the turnovers, Michael, I think I think they're going to be in good shape. Uh with Winston at the quarterback position, because overall that seems as though we lost Nick Durst. Maybe I got lost. I'm not sure, but we are here to talk about all things NFL right now. And the Saints obviously had a nice win against San Francisco. I think a lot of people kind of dismiss the idea that San Francisco is a great team still. And when you're working against Kyle Shanahan, even when his back's against the wall, even when he doesn't have a entirely healthy roster, the team is still going to produce. And we've seen them in the past come up with less than ideal situations for roster talent and compete against great teams. And the Saints were able to overcome that deficit and really win a great game against San Francisco. I, I understand if you know you aren't enticed by a 14-point victory against a team that's led by Nick Mullins with guys like Nick Bose out. But the 49ers are a good team regardless of who is on that roster. The coaching is so well done, and there's still great talent throughout this roster. So a win is a win in the NFL, but even against the 49ers team that's banged up, it's a great win for the Saints. And Nick is back. Sorry for the technical issues, Nick. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened there. I uh, had, had you freezing, and then I got kicked out of the room. So, uh, Dan Graziano, uh, I said Breeze. Sources said Breeze that the most optimistic recovery time would be two to three weeks, and emphasis on optimistic will depend on his healing time, which varies by patient. And they're convinced that, and when they're convinced that he could take a hit without serious re injury, then he'd be back. So, there is hope he'd be back for the playoffs. But, I mean, when you're dealing with the lung and ribs, pretty serious injury. He isn't the only quarterback who got hurt. I believe Drew Locke also got uh, injured as well uh, in the Broncos game. So the the Drews, uh, a little banged up, come out of, out of the weekend. And Dolphins coming off a, a big win against the Chargers. And then they wave Jordan Howard, who was inactive. Uh, interesting there, but. You know the the Dolphins are rolling right now, Michael, and they're they're right in the mix for the, the AFC East. Yeah, and I think it's another great coaching situation. I am an absolute huge fan of Brian Flores. I think he's one of the best defensive minds in the NFL, and he seems to be doing a great job of 
being open as a head coach. A lot of these Patriot style coaches, they get a head coaching job and they try to enforce this Patriot way and this Patriot offense and this Patriot defense. And they, the Patriot defense, the biggest thing about it is its versatility, but with this offense, it's very outdated. I would say, I think a lot of it was just the fact that, Hey, we've had a QB who's been great for 20 years. No need to change it up. So a lot of these coaches leave and say, Hey, I've seen it work over in New England. We're not going to change it up. And the Dolphins after year one said, we're not going to do that. We're going to make this a lot easier because we're going to be a young team. We want to make sure that these guys are having a chance at success. And then on the defensive side of things, uh, both he and Coach Boyer have done a phenomenal job of developing these guys and finding guys that fit to play all over the field. Now we are watching as this Dolphins team stands at 6-3, and three, which I think last year, if you were watching this Dolphins team and I told you next year they're going to be 6-3, and three, you'd be saying, oh, I, they're going to be rebuilding and they'll find success eventually. But I don't think it's going to be a one-year turnaround. But that just shows what a great coach can do, and that's what Brian Flores has done. Yeah, Flores, Flores has been incredible. And uh, we'll see if any the QBs from this game end up on Rockman's Rookies of the Week. I would guess not. Um, I don't know, maybe they just – you know, nothing too spectacular. And you could put Herbert on every week, but maybe it's time to get some other people get on, get on there. I mean, the guy's going to be rookie of the year, most likely. <laughs> uh, you know, and then just looking around the league as well, and I mentioned Drew Locke, he also got a rib injury. I mean, that's just crazy. Uh, he's uh, His status for his game against Miami coming up next week is uncertain at this time. Uh, Adam Gase says Joe Flacco will start against the Jets in week 11. I don't know if Donald's hurt. Or if he just liked what he saw from Flacco. But, you know, the problem with Darnold here is that he misses just, he misses too many games, like plain and simple. Like he's just constantly missing, you know, five to eight games per season. Last year at the Mono, the year before he had a shoulder injury. This year he's hurt again. So that really could factor into the Jets' opinion of Darnold moving forward as to what to do with the quarterback position, his injury history. Yeah. And I feel like, more than likely, they are 100% down to go with Trevor Lawrence if they fall through, number one. But past that, it's just – the I think the biggest thing for Darnold in the assessment of him is just to other teams. And if you're willing to trade probably a day-two pick, whether it's a second-rounder or a third-rounder, for a quarterback that you're hoping can come in and start, you got to be sure that he's healthy and someone that you can depend on to be there week to week. And right now, we haven't seen that out of Darnold. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a long-term thing where he's just always getting banged up. But, I mean, we've seen that happen with QBs where once they start to get one injury, there's just been countless others and it never seems to stop. So while the injuries aren't necessarily all related at the same time, uh, availability is the best ability, and Darnold hasn't shown that right now. Teddy Bridgewater, of course, had that horrible injury with the Vikings. He's been pretty healthy uh, since he came back, but – uh, it seems like he uh, his status for next Sunday uh, against the Lions is uncertain. And Christian McCaffrey, who for some reason played last week, looked good. He was out this week. He's going to be out next week as well with a shoulder injury. But, uh, you know, the Panthers, for the most part, until the end, they kind of hang tough there with the Buccaneers. Buccaneers got that huge bounce back when they needed, capped off by a nice Gronkowski spike there at the end. Uh, well, he actually didn't spike it. He got a touchdown and he flipped it to another player. So that was the first, no spike there, but 
Buccaneers bounce back. It's going to be hard to beat Tom Brady two weeks in a row in, in an embarrassing fashion. And, and Brady showed why he's, he's the greatest of all time. Yeah, it was a huge win for the Bucs. They needed to bounce back. I think a lot of people were kind of watching that game to see what was the response from the Buccaneers. And they came out and they put on a huge showing. And I know a lot of people maybe will dismiss it because it's the Panthers. But the Panthers have been a team that have been competitive in almost every game this season. So the fact that the Bucs were able to come out and after the first half just kind of blow them out was absolutely huge. And they've seemed to have their number all season. I believe they're the only team that has won by more than one possession against them besides the Cardinals over this uh, three and seven span. So 10 games, three times that they got beat by more than one possession and two of those are the Buccaneers. So they seem to have their number, but this one was definitely the Biggest win over the Panthers by anyone this season and comes at a great time for the Bucs as they are looking for a nice response from a embarrassing loss against the Saints. The other good game uh, was, of course, Josh Allen of the Bills taking on the Arizona Cardinals with Murray leading the way. Allen, I don't know if this ever happened before. I thought I was really hoping he was going to get that rush touchdown because I wanted him just to get a receiving, passing, and rush touchdown in the same game. Don't know if it ever happened, but that would have been incredible. Uh, but Murray, once again, not just the last play of the game to, to you know throw the touchdown there, uh, get to Hopkins in the Hail Mary, but he showed again why he's he's a legit MVP candidate. First player since Cam Newton to have ten rush touchdowns on a season. Not sure what the rushing touchdowns in a single season for a quarterback record is, but at some point in Kyler Murray's career, that record is going to go to him, I believe. Uh, another game with a touchdown rushing and passing. And, you know, it was fun to watch both quarterbacks go at it. Allen disappointed himself, a few interceptions there, but uh, two, two young teams with promising future ahead of them. And with the Seahawks losing to the Rams, the Cardinals are now in a three-way tie for first with the Rams and Seahawks, but due to the tiebreaker over the Seahawks with their win and the Rams, the Cardinals are in first place in the AFC West, in the NFC West. Yeah, and every game is going to be one that is closely watched. This was a huge opportunity for the Cardinals to get in the mix of division leader and a huge blown opportunity by the Seahawks in their loss against the Rams. Now it is just going to come down to how these final games show out. The Cardinals have to play the Seahawks one more time and then play the Rams twice. And, you know, I think it's safe to assume that all three of these teams will most likely make playoffs. But, you know, you want to have that division win and you want to have that on your resume. Right now, the Seahawks seem to be trending down while the Rams and Cardinals seem to be trending up. So it's definitely going to be a division that, we aren't going to really know the winner until week 17 probably, but it's uh, it's definitely very talented, and it's crazy to think that the only team that's out of it is sitting at four and five and has lost like half their roster and starting lineup to injuries. Yeah, uh, people said before the season, oh, maybe how West gets in, uh, whatever, no, with, with the injuries, uh, the ravish 49ers. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's I mean, th- definitely the Cardinals, Seahawks, and Rams are all going to get in. The question is, you know, which one of those teams with the huge winning record is going to go on the road to, to play the NFC East winner? And, uh, well, both two of the teams are going to go on the road. So that's going to be coming down to the wire there, uh, no doubt about it. And 
And, you know, continuing to look around the league, the Luton lunacy continues, uh, but the Jaguars come short. So whether it's Luton lunacy or Minshew mania, the Jaguars know how to, to draft quarterbacks. And they lose, so they're going to continue going for Trevor Lawrence here. Packers get the victory there. The Browns beat the Texans in a really, really ugly game. 10-7 victory. Uh, you know, this whole idea that the Browns are going to be better offensively without Adol Beckham Jr. is an absolute joke because since they lost him, their offense has been putrid. But they got the win, and that's that's the main thing that matters there. So they're square in the in the playoff hunt right now, along with the Raiders, who destroy the Broncos 37 to 12. So both teams chances for being a wild card are looking very strong right now, especially with your Patriots taking down the Ravens and, you know, the Steelers just pulled ahead of everybody. They're probably going to get the one seed or you never know. They could, they could lose a game and the chiefs could, you know, sneak in there at the number one seed, but the AFC picture for the playoffs is really coming into you know, a clearer lens now with all with all these teams at six and three. This is the most hot. This is the most teams with at least six wins in uh, in a season at this point in NFL history in the AFC. A lot of teams at six six wins at least that are in the hunt for the playoffs right now. Yeah, and I mean we've talked about it already. This NFC team is, or the NFC conference is already looking very talented. And now the AFC is starting to heat up. You look at. The Titans and Browns currently is six and three and just sitting outside of playoffs. That's ridiculous. And you think, how are these how are these standings seeming to be so far apart? And you know, even the Patriots, I don't think you can count out of it now. I, I don't want to sound like a biased homer, but it, beating a team like the Ravens is definitely very impressive. Now only about two wins out from being up there with the other ones and do you need to have some luck fall in your favor if you're the Patriots? For sure. they The odds are very much against them. But right now you look at how some of these teams have been playing. The Browns haven't been looking good. The Titans, the defense needs to recover or else this is not going to be good. They have a tiebreaker over the Raiders. So if the Raiders playing teams like the Chiefs, playing teams like the Colts, and even playing teams like the Dolphins and Chargers, there's still chances for losses on their schedule. So – I don't think the Patriots get in, but this is definitely one of those conferences that we're going to see a lot of chaos before this thing's done. There's still about half a season left, so anything can happen. Certainly, and you know, there's the way Belichick called that game at the end was was great. Uh, it's like a snowstorm, so I think that definitely impacted things. And the question really becomes now is the Ravens, who were ridiculous last year, are they ever going to make the playoffs? Uh, it's, it seems like they might end up being on the outside looking in with the way they've been playing. A big game coming up is the Titans versus Ravens on the 22nd, which is going to be a phenomenal game. You look at both these teams really need a victory to kind of get back into that playoff picture, and whoever loses is definitely going to be sitting a little bit on the outside, kind of stressed about their situation as they'll be 6-4. and four. Yep, and then Thanksgiving, Steelers, Ravens, the third the Thursday night game. So you know the the Ravens could quickly find themselves at five hundred. Uh and that's that's not where they want to be. Uh but oh you know, overall another another good weekend of, of football and 
we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about the Monday Night Football game, which is going to end the week. But I think it's time to give the people what they want. And that's why most people are tuning into the show. That's to see who makes Rockman's Rookies of the Week for Week 10 of the NFL season. Well, in uncommon fashion, Rockman's Rookies of the Week have no quarterbacks. All the QBs weren't necessarily bad, but didn't shine in how they needed to. So let's get started with some of these guys. First up, we got DeAndre Swift, the running back for Detroit Lions in a big victory against the Washington football team. Had 21 touches, 149 yards in this game. He also scored a touchdown, which was huge to the success of the Detroit offense. He had 16 carries, 81 yards, and then contributed as a receiver with five catches for 68, showing both the ability to run and catch as a running back is huge. And I think the more and more that the Lions realize how much of a talented guy they have and Patricia and all of these coaches, Coach Bevel, are using this guy, they're going to find a lot more success and find it a lot easier for Stafford to have success. So stop giving the ball to AP. Start giving the ball to Swift every game. And I think the Lions, there's a lot of talent on this roster. So whether it's right now with Patricia, they have this miraculous recovery, or whether it's next year with a coach like the enemy or someone else, there's so much talent here that, you know, once they really start to utilize the talent, they're going to be a good team. The next rookie of the week is T. Higgins with seven catches, 115 yards, and one touchdown. You look at this performance – wasn't great for the Bengals directly, but T. Higgins has really come out of his shell in these past few weeks and put together some great performances. A lot of people kind of questioned the draft pick whenever it first happened. They said, oh, you know, I like Higgins, but they have Boyd, they have A.J. Green. I don't think he's ever going to get some touches in his rookie year, and that could stunt his development if he's not getting on the field. But he has found a way to get on the field, and he's found a way to produce with again seven catches, 115 yards, one touchdown. He led all receivers in catches, led all receivers in yards, and he was the only Bengal to have a touchdown that wasn't Joe Burrow. So a great performance for T. Higgins against a very strong Pittsburgh defense. When you're able to produce like this, when your team is struggling, it is just phenomenal. So great game to T. Higgins, and I look forward to seeing what all he can do going forward. The next rookie of the week is Javon Kinlaw, an absolute monster on the interior defensive line for the San Francisco 49ers. Three tackles, one and a half sacks, a tackle for loss, and hit the quarterback two times. He was able to get Drew Brees by the ankle for his first sack of the game. And really, this was why they were willing to trade DeForest Buckner is because they really loved Javon Kinlaw, and they thought that as long as they had time to develop him, they would be able to create a very similar excellent presence on the defensive line, both as a pass rusher and run stopper. And Javon Kinlaw has done that even with the limited offseason that he's gotten. So yeah, it's been a great rookie year for him and this is a great game, but I'm telling you after an offseason working with the 49ers coaching staff, he is going to be an absolute beast in his sophomore season. Keep an eye on him. And he's already off to a great start with a good rookie year. The next rookie of the week is Kyle Duggar. The stat sheet wasn't as filled up, but 12 tackles, and he was playing all over the field in an absolute great performance. Last year, you saw that the Patriots were getting demolished by the Ravens, and the biggest issue was in open space, the Ravens just had better athletes. This week, 
And this year, Kyle Duggar in open space was absolutely phenomenal. One of his biggest issues for me was he was always a high tackler that would kind of fly over the offensive players. And in this game, he was getting low. He was making tackles consistently and surely. And he had a great performance, whether it's as a money backer or whether it's as a safety. Kyle Duggar seems to be a great get for the Patriots. And I look forward to seeing what he can do because obviously there's so much athleticism here. Now it all just comes down to really making it all work in terms of polish. And then our final rookie of the week, a kicker. Kickers are people too. No need to disrespect the guy. He had a phenomenal week. Three for three on field goals, all of which came from 50-plus yards. I believe his longest was 58 yards. So a huge week for Tyler Bass. Put up to 12 points in total, and he was absolutely dominant. Probably the biggest reason that I realized just how good he had done is because I picked him up in fantasy football, and he – was one of my higher scores. So great week to Tyler Bass, and I owe him so many thanks as I am trying to win every week. So thank you, Tyler Bass, and congratulations. You got yourself on Rockman's Rookies of the Week. Make sure you tweet Tyler Bass. That is, he made the list. Uh, but, yeah, Tyler Bass, guy has been really good this year. His 85 points on the season through Week 10 gives the team a ton of confidence. He started the game off making his career log of 54 yards. Then he's like, you know what? I got to try 55-yarder now. Makes that. And at the end of the game, it's 58-yarder. So three times he made his career long in, in the game. Uh, and his, his teammates are just, just rave reviews about him. Josh Allen said that they have extreme confidence in him. You don't really hear this. anybody talking about a kicker so much, but he's got a leg, that crazy big leg. He's a young guy. I know early on things weren't going his way, but he's turned it around. We all had faith in him. I think he... I think 350-plus yard field goes today, which is awesome for a rookie to go out there and do that. He's only going to get better. It's extremely poising, promising. He's a great dude on top of that. The guy's in the locker room up, and we got his back no matter what. Uh, Bass, he's a third bill with multiple 50-yarders in a game, joining Mike Hollis, who did it in 2002, and Stephen Hashkin in 2017. Cole Beasley, he said he's been around a lot of kickers, and he's been around some good ones, too. There's some that overthinks things sometimes and he likes bass because he never does. He just goes out there and kicks the hell out of the ball. He admires him for that. Mr. Make, he's going to kick the hell out of the ball. That's the way he's got to be at any position. And he likes the attitude and his approach to the game. You look like Graham Gano out there who has been leading the giants all year with 20 straight field goals. And instantly after the big victory, he gets a three-year extension. You don't see that too often. too often. So nice to see a kicker make the list. Hopefully we get a punter on here and maybe a long snapper before the season ends. Hopefully we'll keep an eye on it. No doubt about it. All right, moving on here. Uh, you know, we mentioned it earlier, the college football playoff picture, but first we had some big news uh, in, in college football coming out uh, of the weekend, which was, I think a little surprising uh, with the timing of it, but Will Muschamp is fired from South Carolina, but as a consolation prize, he gets $13 million for the contract ending. But what are your thoughts on, you know, on this happening, uh, you know, yesterday and just the state of the South Carolina Gamecocks football program? Well, I think there's definitely a lot of potential here as South Carolina has just consistently been overturning some very nice, talented players. You look at, 
on the defensive side of things, whether it's J.C. Horn, Ernest Jones, or uh, Israel Mukwamu, there's so much talent on this defense. Javon Kinlaw just last year. There's obviously a lot of capability to recruit, and now it just comes down to finding the right guy for the job to really maximize those recruits. And honestly, for me, I feel like this is Bill O'Brien's best chance of landing a big-time college football job you look at. Michigan probably won't want him because they just hired a guy that came from the NFL and then kind of didn't meet expectations. You look at Texas and they probably won't want him because he was just at Houston. A lot of the fans aren't going to have that same faith in him. So you look at South Carolina, which is a big program, a lot of capabilities to make some magic happen, has kind of underachieved in the past few years. And Bill O'Brien has some success at Penn State. Going to South Carolina, he's not going to have a lot of doubters in terms of what you see from Texans fans for rooting for Texas Longhorns. So I think uh, South Carolina is the best fit for Bill O'Brien, and I think he would do well there. It's just about whether the dominoes fall. Another interesting name that I heard was Brett Venables, who has kind of always been this long-term defensive coordinator for Clemson, and he's kind of said before, I understand eventually I'll have to take a head coaching job, and it's just about finding the right place where I want to be. You don't have to travel very far if you're going from Clemson to South Carolina. So if he's trying to kind of not shake up his kid's life too much, if he's trying to make sure that you know he has a good program where he can get a lot of talent, if he's trying to make sure that he can really just not have too much change but still have a big opportunity at success, there's not many places that can offer that appeal as much as South Carolina. So Venables and Bill O'Brien are probably my leading candidates. There's been some other guys that have been pitched, and I think there are a lot of great fits out there. But those are my top two guys if I'm South Carolina. So how much do you think South Carolina got hurt the last four years, the Muschamp era, uh, due to the fact that Clemson was so successful? Because I'd imagine South Carolina having a really hard time how recruiting Clemson to keep those homegrown South Carolina, you know, five-star, four-star recruits in in the state going to their program. I think most of them would probably say, "Let well, them go to Clemson. Look at look at look at what they've been doing, and better chance for me to get drafted." Yeah, and Muschamp was a good recruiter. He did a phenomenal job of bringing in guys that were very talented. It was just about making South Carolina meet those expectations with the great recruiting and. Obviously, they were losing a lot of great talent because they weren't a great team like Clemson was. So a lot of the five stars, if they were weighing between Clemson and South Carolina, they are probably going to Clemson. So there's still a lot of work to be done for whoever comes in. Another coach that I like, by the way, is Jamie Chadwell, the Coastal Carolina head coach, who's also in that area and undefeated at the moment, putting together a great season. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of appeal to South Carolina that is just – has done a phenomenal job in terms of recruiting has done a phenomenal job in terms of just how talented the conferences and how talented their roster talent has been. You look at some of these defensive players are just incredible and it's just now trying to get some offensive success in there. And that's why maybe they don't go towards someone like Venables, but I feel like Venables is one of those guys that he's like the most touted, uh, defensive guy in the nation, one of the most talented recruits. So if you get the chance at him, you got to try. And I'm sure he'd bring in some great offensive minds from Clemson staff with him. So 
really uh, – there's going to be a lot of options for South Carolina this year. Yep, I think uh, another name I saw rumored was Hugh Freeze. I don't know if that's going to pick up any traction, but I did see that as well. Uh, of course, they want to be competitive in the SEC and uh, make their way to the college football playoffs. So let's take a look at that college football playoff picture right now and see that everything is kind of the same right now. Alabama is one, Notre Dame is two, Ohio State's three, and Clemson is four. And Ohio State, of course, missed the game this week. So we'll see if that impacts anything at the end getting closer. But I pretty much think that what you see on the left side here is what we're going to end up with in the playoff. Unless, of course, Notre Dame faces Clemson in the ACC championship game and Clemson loses. Then Clemson's not getting in with two, with two losses. That's not, that's not going to happen. Uh, I think at that point, you'll probably see maybe a Pac-12 team gets the call. I really doubt the Pac-12 is going to get anybody in, but if you're looking at that scenario and there's two lost SEC team, two lost Clemson, I don't know, maybe maybe then you consider another ACC team uh, with one loss, or maybe they just finally get things right and go ahead and put in a BYU or, or Cincinnati, which is highly unlikely. But I think the Big Ten is going to have a lot to say about who's getting in here, uh, especially with the way their schedule is going to break down, which is crazy here. And – I don't know. I, I, I just get the feeling that Ohio State is if, – if they're going to slip up, I, I think this is the year because the Ohio State with the Hoosiers, you know, it, uh, Wisconsin, this is like a really, really good Big Ten right now. And, you know, there's no easy wins. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if – you know, we're sitting here next week talking about Indiana's huge win over Ohio State this weekend. I don't know if I agree with you, but it'll definitely be interesting. I feel like, you know, obviously there are teams that control their own destiny. You look at Florida, if they beat Alabama, probably gets in. You look at Indiana, Wisconsin, North, Northwestern, and Maryland, if they win out, that would likely give them the case to be in there as well. And we'll see this bubble start to shrink down as teams start to lose out and start to find themselves, you know, blowing their opportunity. But you also look at some of these teams where USC has struggled in these first two games. And, yes, they've won. They're undefeated. And if they bounce back and have some great performances, then they still have a chance. But right now, what we've seen out of them is just not enough to really put them in that playoff bubble to where they're even really highly a a contender. They're a little bit bigger than Maryland, but they're in that same range as a one-loss Iowa State, one-loss Oklahoma State because they just haven't looked that great. Miami, obviously, if they were to beat Notre Dame in the coming weeks and then eventually go on to beat – or no, if they were to beat North Carolina and then uh, one of Notre Dame or Clemson loses, they could find themselves in that championship game, and if they were to win that, they could get in there. But a lot of these teams are kind of – wishfully thinking on the downfall of some of these four teams and one team that kind of needs a lot of chips to fall in their favor is the Cincinnati Bearcats and BYU. Both these teams have put together a great season, have played very well, dominated their opponents, but they aren't a power five school and 
the committee is not going to pick someone who isn't uh, unless there's a very good case. And right now there hasn't been a big enough case for the other teams to miss. And that that's sad that that's how it works. And it's not ideal, but Cincinnati and BYU teams like Oregon that are only going to have six games. And then, you know, there's other undefeated PAC 12 teams as well right now that didn't make this graphic, whether you're looking at Washington, Colorado, those are other teams that could potentially get in if things fall crazily enough, but it's, it's looking unlikely that we'll see a PAC 12 team unless Oregon just completely runs the table and so many of these other teams fall out of favor with the committee. Right. I think Oregon would get in if you have a scenario where there is only three one loss teams over there and left. That's, you know, but still like, uh, there's a is Oregon with like six games uh, undefeated better than uh, Oklahoma State with the full season and one loss. I don't know. It's tough. It's tough to determine that. Uh, and I think it's more likely that you get either two teams from the ACC, two teams from the Big Ten, or two teams from the SEC than it is that you get that Pac-12 team in this year. I think Cincinnati has a better case than Oregon when you look at strength of schedule and all. I mean, the American athletic conference maybe doesn't get the respect it deserves but oregon's best win is going to be that pac-12 championship maybe a win against washington would be nice on the resume but currently as it stands none of the teams that they are playing are ranked i assume washington might get in there but it's it's not a crazy tough schedule and it's only six games whereas cincinnati kind of had to overcome a schedule where they're playing Seven games right now, they will have 10 in total. They have to beat teams like Army. They have to beat teams like SMU, where they demolish them. They have to beat teams like Memphis. They have to beat teams like Tulsa. And to me, that's more impressive. And yes, Oregon has the history. They may have more roster talent from a pure eye test. But when you look at just what they've done and accomplished this season, I don't want to hold the Pac-12 accountable for trying to be safe and trying to be cautious about how they went ahead with football this season. But at the same time, Cincinnati has played, and it's hard not to give them favor in that regard. Do you, can you see a scenario where Florida wins the SEC, but Alabama still gets into the playoffs? Oh, I think absolutely. If, if Florida comes in to the SEC championship with one loss, Alabama comes in undefeated, and then Florida – is able to beat Alabama in a non-dominant way, but still beat them. Let's say like a twenty-eight to twenty-four game. Then, yeah, absolutely. I think I think both teams have to get in, and it probably kicks out the loser of the ACC ACC championship. Which, uh, if it's Clemson, I think that's more than reasonable. But if that's Notre Dame, a lot of people are going to be upset about that. So it's going to be a very interesting situation to see what happens. And I think the most chaotic thing would be if Clemson wins on a very in a in a very close fashion against Notre Dame and then Florida beats Alabama in a very close fashion the committee honestly I think it's more likely that they would try to pitch a 16 playoff for this season instead of four than trying to decide between Notre Dame and uh, Alabama in that situation I don't see a scenario how if Clemson beats Notre Dame in a close game, Notre Dame's on it because they, they beat them. So they're only lost to the team they also beat. So uh, 
I think it, there is a possibility that the playoff is two SEC teams and two ACC teams, and the Big Ten team, if it's not Ohio State, is on the outside looking in. Do you think that could happen at all? Oh, definitely. I think there's a very strong chance that that could happen. I don't see Ohio State slipping up, though, with how well they've been playing, with how great Justin Fields has been this season. It's hard to hard to imagine. Yeah, I think the, th- the thing is the Big Ten – I'm pretty confident in saying that they have to. The winner has to go undefeated in order to make the playoffs, because I think a one-loss Big Ten champion wouldn't get in over a one-loss Alabama, a one-loss Clemson, or a one-loss Notre Dame. And this is all assuming that Florida beats Alabama, which I think is within the realm of possibility with the way the Gators are playing. Yeah, and we'll keep updating this list and this graphic and trying to analyze this playoff picture further develop what's going to be going on as we get closer but right now as you can see there are 13 teams in the hunt with four teams in the playoff picture arguably there are some more teams that could be considered in the hunt so you know as the weeks go on we'll get to see more and more of these teams fall out of favor one game this weekend is ohio state versus indiana that nick talked about if Indiana loses this game, I think they fall out of the hunt, whereas Ohio State, if they lose, could potentially still be in the side bubble. But right. it's going to be so very the thing, interesting. The to keep in mind out. there is that if Indiana wins, Ohio State's still going to be in play because Indiana has to play Wisconsin. So if Wisconsin wins there, against, assuming Indiana would beat Ohio State, that really merkle things, and that could still give Ohio State the, the path to get to the Big Ten Championship and win it, of course, as well. So that's and another big game is Northwestern versus Wisconsin, as we see in this far right situation. And that's another game that should be huge. Uh, you know, obviously, we talked about Florida, Alabama in the SEC championship. Iowa State's going to play Oklahoma State in the Big 12 championship, most likely. And you look at some of these other games where Maryland, they already have one loss, but it's just the idea that if they were to somehow win out, they'd have that chance to be in there. Uh, but they will have to play Indiana as well. And I believe that Ohio State game is getting rescheduled too. Uh, we'll definitely have a lot of games on the schedule though. Clemson versus Miami will be a big one. Or, I mean, did that already happen? I think that already happened actually. My apologies. But you look at just a lot of these teams are going to find their way outside of the bubble or into this left side maybe. But it, we'll get some clarity as the weeks go on. It's not as jumbled for the full season as it is right now. Yeah, I spoke to ESPN's Anish Shroff earlier. He's a play-by-play man, does a lot of college football. And he basically was just telling me that he's just, he just swamped because the schedule keeps changing with games being postponed or rescheduled. So it's just they're on a crunch here. They want to get everything in and, and properly done so that they can hopefully get their playoffs uh, in. And, you know, we'll see about these bowl games. It'll be interesting to see how many they actually are this year. Um, and, you know, who's which teams, if any teams decline, or if they just try to, like, pick the bowl game matchups based on who's close to each other, um, It's it, you know, rather than figuring, okay, we're going to reward this team with a big flight out to California from the East Coast. Maybe you want to just say, oh, you're, you're from the South, you know, you're going to play in a Southern Bowl game. But uh, I'd love to see BYU in the Rose Bowl. I think uh, that'd be a lot of fun. Or same, and I want to see Coastal Carolina and Cincinnati in a, in a New Year's Day Big Six game as well. But uh, let's, let's take a look here at 
we do every week, the Monday Night Football game before we get out of here. So Monday Night Football, we got the Vikings and the Bears. This might be it, I think, Michael, for Nick Foles. Uh, we could potentially be seeing a QB change mid-game tonight, but I'm going to say Foles finishes it out. And Kirk Cousins leads the Vikings to victory, and that's going to force Matt Nagy's hand going into next week to make the change back to Mitchell Trubisky. That's my prediction for this evening. So I think the Vikings will win this game, despite the fact that it's in Chicago. Yeah, I think the Vikings are a team that have kind of improved week to week, and we're now kind of seeing a chance for them to get into that playoff picture, whereas the Bears have been falling out and losing games, blowing games, blowing opportunities. I think there's a lot of tension between Nagy and Foles as we heard one of those rumors on Twitter was that he was saying off camera, I know when plays are going to fail when he calls them in and I just, I go through with them because I'm, I'm listening to the coach, but I know they're not going to work out and he still was remaining the starter. But now with the uh, constant issues that they have had, I think we are going to see a change in this team very soon. And, Mitch Trubisky seems to be getting the next opportunity, I would assume. Yeah, I think uh, that's 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 how I see this playing out. So uh, should be should be a fun game, though. Uh, of course, with Monday football. Now Thursday is a huge game, huge probably the biggest Thursday football game of the season yet, and that's going to be the Cardinals taking on the Seahawks. Seahawks coming off two losses, hosting the the Cardinals coming off a miraculous win. Teams very evenly matched early in the season. The Cardinals did win that game, and I think they're going to win it again. I think the the Seahawks' defense is so bad that it's forcing Russell Wilson to do things that he shouldn't have to do, which is then making him look bad and interceptions and whatnot. Uh, Seahawks' defense, really, really not a good unit, and the Cardinals' offense is just going to be too much to handle in that one, I believe. Yeah, and I think I'm on the other side of this coin. I think the Cardinals have definitely put together a great season so far, but I think the Seahawks are going to find a way to kind of bounce back in this game. We've seen them kind of fall off from what we've known of them. They've lost two in a row, three of their last four, and I think in order to kind of recover on all things, I think this is a big one that you have to win. Yeah, you have an easy schedule going forward. I mean, after this game, you play the Eagles, you play the Giants, you play the Jets, you play Washington football team. And that's some, I think, easy win opportunities. I don't want to underestimate any NFL team if I'm the Seahawks, but it's definitely a favorable schedule. I think, though, that we see a big win in this game that kind of re-ups the idea that the Seahawks are a legit team in the NFC and just have as much a chance as anyone to win this conference. And it's big for Russell Wilson, too, as he's in search of his uh, MVP award this year. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, now, you know, just looking at the MVP right now, I, I think the candidates are probably Wilson, Rogers, Brady, Mahomes, and Josh Allen's kind of lingering, and, and Kyle Murray is, is sneaking up here. But who who would you right now put as the the favorite in that that's in the, out of those guys? I think at the moment, just looking at what everyone has been able to do this season. I think the person who has it right now would probably be Wilson, but with how things are trending, I'd say it looks really favorable to Kyler Murray. He has put together some late-season magic, and I understand we're only midway through, but he's put together some huge plays. He's put together some huge performances and gotten some huge wins to where 
he he looks phenomenal. And if we continue to see this happen week to week where he's putting up great performances, the Cardinals keep winning. And it starts with Thursday night and it ends week 17, obviously. But if he continues to just have some of these great performances where he's wowing people with his legs, wowing people with his arms, there's not really much competition for him. And I think, yeah, there's Wilson, there's Allen, who I think Allen is kind of falling out of favor due to the inconsistent play. Allen's, I think, top two in in passing yards. But yeah, yeah, I think, but the thing is, Kyler Murray, he's second in the league in. Rushing touchdowns, not yeah. on quarterbacks of above among Russia among rushing total. So he's got ten touchdowns. Dalvin Cook's got twelve, and he is, I think, top five uh, in, or top six or so in rush yards. Uh, well, or, or along those lines, so maybe in the top ten or so. He's got six hundred and four yards, so that's going to put him in the top nine there for, among rushing yards. And as far as the passing game goes, he's got eighteen touchdowns. Uh, just very, very dynamic. Josh Allen does lead the league in passing. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, though, you know, they had a bye week. He's 200 yards behind in the league leader in passing, and he's got 25 touchdowns and one interception. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we, they, the leagues have a tendency, you know, we see this in the NBA with, with LeBron James, that once the best player wins the MVP, you know, they try to, to spread the wealth there and not really give it to him as well. But, uh, you know, uh, Kyler Murray's got only 17 touchdown passes, but like you said, if he continues on this path he's going right now, he, he could potentially have 18 rushing touchdowns and 30 passing touchdowns. If he has 48 touchdowns on the season, uh, you know, that's, that's going to, that's got to be the MVP. And he also leads the league in rushes over 20 yards with six. So I got to go with my preseason pick, which is, which is Kyler Murray right now. Yeah, he's definitely putting together a great season. And this showcase of Cardinals, Seahawks, Wilson versus Murray is going to probably have a huge tilt for all momentum of MVP talk for both sides. So whoever comes out on top in that performance or has a great game is probably going to be the favorite going forward in my eyes. No doubt about it. Looking forward to it. We'll watch Thursday. And then, of course, we'll be back here on Friday. Brian will be with us as well. And it'll be another great episode of Death Station Draft Day as we get ready, get you ready for the weekend of college football. We'll tell you what prospects to keep an eye out for. I'll recap Thursday Night Football, talk a little Monday Night Football, and, you know, get you ready for the weekend once again, Michael. I look forward to it. And we thank everyone who is tuning in to watch or leaving comments. We didn't get any comments today, though, so you guys got to step it up. But overall, we, we love yeah, you guys. We got we so gotta do Rockman, Rockman's Commenters of the Week. So <laughs> you got to do better, guys. It's just Glock Lesnar five times. <laughs> but uh, we thank you guys so much, and we will see you Friday. This is Destination Draft Day. The road is long, but we'll get you through it. We look forward to Friday, and we'll see you then. Take care.